the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 478 for August 9th, 2015. Sprint falls to the number four carrier in the U.S., the FCC calendars the 600 megahertz spectrum auction, and Siri may soon start transcribing your voicemails. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, before we get into the news this week, a couple things to discuss. First, a little commentary about voice over LTE and Verizon. So uh, have recently made a move uh, in the Washington, D.C. market now and have started using um, a lot more voice minutes. I'm doing a lot more phone calling for what I'm doing out here right now. And I'm also traveling a lot more uh, in the region than uh, I was ever traveling before. And so one of the things that I've started to realize is that, especially now with uh, the voice over LTE capabilities of the iPhone 6 and Verizon's network, uh, that um, the, the function functionality, having simultaneous voice and data, is exceptionally convenient, however, maybe to the detriment of the actual experience of the reliability of the voice network. I'll tell you what I mean by this. So as I've uh, been using the phone as a phone uh, when I'm out and about, I've noticed that the calls have been uh, less than reliable, uh, dropped calls, calls that have been kind of fading in and out, um, a lot of kind of, what did you say, couldn't understand you, garbled, you know, stuff. And uh, it, I was talking to Joey about this a couple of weeks ago, and he said, well, you should probably turn off the voiceover LTE and just use LTE for data. And I and first thought was, well, I can't do that. You know, I've got this functionality now where I can get, you know, my text messages and my emails and stuff like that when I'm on a call. Um, but I came to realize that what that meant was um, I, I was doing that when I either I was on a call uh, and I was using the phone while I was either at home or in the office, which meant I had Wi-Fi. And if I was in the car, I didn't need to get text messages or iMessages or check email or anything like that because I'm in the car and I'm not looking at the phone anyway. So um, I came to realize that, yeah, maybe this was probably a better idea. Um, the, the, the you know short version of the, the story here is that the experience uh, that I've had now since I switched back over to making all the phone calls over the, the CDMA network has been dramatically different. Um, able to make and receive calls in um, parking garages where I was never able to do so before, uh, in parts of my office where I was not able to do so before because they would, they would either fail or they would you know, drop or whatever it was. Uh, and, uh, and just in general, uh, driving around, especially on the Beltway, for those of you that know the area, has been incredibly reliable and, uh, and perfect, really. Uh, and so um, obviously this made a lot of sense after I thought a little bit more about it. The Verizon LTE network is now only, we're coming up on five years old here uh, as we enter the fall and uh, versus the CDMA network, which is, you know, 15 plus years old. And so it makes just a lot of sense that they've got a network that's more built out versus the new one, not to mention that new network is running on, um, you know, you're, you're kind of battling everything else that's going on with the voice, uh, with the data side of things as well. So uh, just something to keep in mind that if you're someone who's not been had a real positive experience with the data side, uh, or with the voice side of things, it may be because you're using the voice over LTE functionality. And uh, definitely your mileage is going to vary on this. This was just my experience. But uh, Joey, how, what are you doing right now? Because obviously, you've got a Verizon iPhone as well. No, I still have the voice over LTE turned on, um, but I don't that make that many phone calls. However, I have experienced issues with phone calls and, 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 and things that aren't ideal with it. So um, it, it's one of these things is where the simultaneous voice and data is great, but it's not something you use totally. Uh, it's, it's not a it's not an end all be all feature. Yeah. And one of the other things that I realized was generally when I'm out and about, I've got my iPad with me as well, which means easy tether back to that and then get all of my data on there. So um, one of the one of the downsides of not having that is if you use other background functionality, like if you're using navigation or something uh, to that regard where it's pulling data in the background, you do not get the data when you're on a phone call. So just keep that in mind. There's a couple of quirks. It's, it's not going to be the best solution for everybody. But if you're someone who values having a reliable phone call or over other functionality than this is which I do and I did uh, I have uh, this is where you uh, something you need to consider so that was the first thing the second thing is um, I've got a new keypad uh, or keyboard that is for the iPad and it is called the Microsoft Universal Mobile Keyboard yes it is a Microsoft product for uh, the Apple iPad and 
This is uh, something that I, I found as I was doing some searching for iPad keyboards and came to realize that this actually makes a lot of sense for me. So um, I bounced back and forth between uh, a, just a generic Apple Bluetooth keyboard and using that with the iPad and then also a, uh, a Zag keyboard folio cover. And what I, what I really liked about this is that it gave me the, the flexibility to use it in a almost a configuration that was very similar to a folio, i.e. it's got a little ridge that you set your tablet in it, and then it, it holds it in, in place pretty firmly. But then I can also easily just pull it right out and not have to deal with having the keyboard with it, which is something that I also value as well. Um, I love the ultra portability of having it in just uh, just the, the, you know, the Apple uh, OEM leather case, smart case, I think is what it's called. And so I, I like that. And so this allows me to ultimately use it in that configuration most of the time and then kind of during the week during when I'm trying to get business done and whatnot I can use it with the keyboard uh, and because it's detachable um, it can also um, it can go with you or cannot go with you and you still have the protection of your, your overall case on there. Another great feature of this is it does have the dedicated buttons for the home key, the locking key, uh, you know, forward, you know, the, the play control, music control buttons on there. It also uh, allows you to pair up to three different devices with it. So right now I've got both the iPad and my iPhone paired with this. So with the flip of a switch, I switch over to the iPhone and then I can uh, use the keyboard itself with the iPhone. So that may or may not have some value to you. Uh, the cost is, I believe, $80 and uh, it's a uh, generally a pretty decent keyboard the keys have good travel on them um, I would say it's um, it, it, it's on par with the zag keyboards uh, maybe a little bit better as far as build quality is concerned but uh, overall it's been uh, it's been pretty good so um, again I've only had it though for four or five days here but I'm, I'm still getting to, to you know to getting used to how this works here and uh, generally though it's it's been pretty exciting uh, to you know to, to try out something new and to try something that I feel it works a little bit better for me so uh, this is the Microsoft Universe Universal mobile keyboard. Well, and of course, if uh, longtime listeners would remember that I have got an, a Zag keyboard, a really uh, inexpensive one I bought on eBay for like 13 or $14. I can't even remember the name of it. It's like a solo something, but it's just basically it's just a, a simple, simple keyboard that's full size. It's uh, it's the right size for my fingers. It's got the little slot to hold the device. Um, and it's just a you know single device Bluetooth keyboard. I've charged it once and I've had it for what, three years or something like that. And it um, it just works and it's super simple. And of course, with a keyboard, I just recommend keeping it super simple. This thing can just, it's super thin and you just slide it in alongside your iPad in your case or wherever you're carrying it along and you just bring it when you know you're going to need it. Otherwise, it stays at home. Yeah. So one of the things that I will say that has been has been kind of a, a big thing for me on this one, because you may say, well, I've got an Apple Bluetooth keyboard and, you know, I know how to use that. And so why would I need anything differently? So the um, the thing that this does is it has its own cover on it as well. So it's got a, a, a magnetic cover that closes over the top of the key so you can throw it in your bag and not risk having it turn on inadvertently, which happens to me quite a bit with the Apple Bluetooth keyboard because it pushes the side button or it uh, does something in it and it and wakes it up. So I've actually been on a train before with that in my bag and my iPad all of a sudden started playing music because the b power button got pushed on and then the buttons got mashed to start playing music. And so it was playing music and I had to dig around and try and figure all that out very quickly because it was playing something not really appropriate for public consumption. But uh, anyway, it was very interesting to, uh, uh, to you know, to, to kind of see how this thing has kind of fit into my life in a very different way that I, I was a little hesitant about it because it doesn't come with you everywhere. But generally, it's um, it, it's it's a nice compromise. And that's exactly what uh, what you're doing when you've got a keyboard on a tablet is you're compromising in the functionality in that regard. So check it out. Uh, again, relatively inexpensive at I think it's 80 bucks, the Microsoft Universal mobile keyboard. Jumping into news. Sprint reporting its second quarter earnings on Tuesday, and the subscriber count reveals it has fallen behind competitor T-Mobile in its total number of customers. T-Mobile gained a total of 2 million new customers during the second quarter, reporting a total customer base of uh, 58.9 million. Sprint saw net additions of 675,000 during the period, bringing their total to 57 million. T-Mobile takes the position as the third largest U.S. carrier behind number two AT&T and number one Verizon, with approximately 100 121 million and 132 million subscribers respectively. Sprint also reported a financial loss in the quarter of 20 million.
million on revenue of $8 billion. Though they did reduce churn, lost only 12,000 postpaid subscribers. CEO Marcello Clare has uh, been on the board for just about a year now, and he also announced a change to its C-suite. They added uh, a new CFO and COO to the mix. So perhaps this will help in the overall uh, oversight of what the company is doing and uh, where they see themselves going here in the next couple of years. HTC on Thursday said it plans to make cuts to its employee base and reduce the number of handsets it releases to become more competitive with market leaders Apple and Samsung. The uh, CEO, uh, Caitlin, CFO, excuse me, uh, Chaylin Chang said the cuts will be across the board and they will be significant. They reported earnings on Thursday and recorded a loss for the second quarter. It also predicted that it will lose money in the third quarter as well. The uh, job cuts will be in the first quarter of 2016 in order to, or through the quarter first quarter of 2016 to get a handle on their expenses. They said they'll also bank on high-end models in emerging markets uh, such as India that will also share handsets uh, between uh, $250 and $400. HTC did not specifically say which handsets, though it may be dropping out of its current lineup. The FCC on Thursday formally rejecting T-Mobile's bid to set aside more low-band spectrum for smaller carriers in next year's auction. Uh, T-Mobile said they wanted to see a total of 40 megahertz for the low-band airwaves to be set aside for carriers other than Verizon and AT&T. The FCC did say on in June that it would keep the reserve at 30 megahertz, which it proposed last year, and it voted on that matter this week, approving that. Then they also this week setting the date of March 29th, 2016, uh, and adopting extensive rules on how they will take on this auction. So the rules establish a formula for calculating opening price offers and eligible television station-based equality on its interface and population characteristics. Also, the rules define two categories of generic spectrum blocks that will be bid upon in in the forward portion of the auction, such as Cat 1 blocks and also minimal impacts, and then the larger impairments on the Category 2 blocks. So March 29th is uh, just around the corner from us, basically six months from now, so keep that date in mind of course we'll be talking about it as we come up close to that will be interesting to see how everybody jumps in to this final as uh, we have kind of explained in the past very very significant auction here on this great low band spectrum the telecommunications industry association on thursday filing an amicus brief challenging the fcc's move to reclassify broadband services under title two of the telecommunications act it believes the fcc did not properly evaluate how the reclassification would impact spending on broadband services the fcc failed to consider and respond adequately to extensive record collection according to the tia which further called the fcc's rulemaking arbitrary and capricious the tia wants the fcc's net neutrality rules thrown out those won't affect into effect this past June. AT&T on Monday rolling out combined wireless and television packages following its recent acquisition of DirecTV. The basic package includes four wireless lines and unlimited talk and text with 10 gigs of shared data, as well as HD television service for up to four receivers for a combined price of $200 a month. AT&T is offering four different TV packages ranging from $50 to $125 a month. The $200 combined price includes the entry-level $50 TV plan and a AT&T's $160 four-line wireless family plan. Customers who choose one other one of the other DirecTV packages will still see the $10 monthly discount when they bundle these packages onto a single bill. Customers may also choose to add AT&T's home broadband internet service on top of wireless and television packages. AT&T customers who sign up for DirecTV will be given access to DirecTV's mobile video application before the service is even installed. And ex- existing customers who switch to AT&T will be given a $300 bill credit. So there's a nice incentive. Of, I guess. AT&T is now selling DirecTV services at 2,000 stores around the country. The new services starting tomorrow, August 10th. Verizon and T-Mobile Monday agreed to exchange AWS One and PCS Spectrum in dozens of markets around the country in a deal valued at about $173 million. The Spectrum covers portions of Arkansas, California, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, New York, North Dakota, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Virginia. The companies will swap Spectrum licenses only. The deal does not include the transfer of assets or customers, and the exchange will allow Verizon and T-Mobile to Enjoy the benefits of associated larger blocks of contiguous spectrum and or align uh, the spectrum held in adjacent markets. The uh, companies expect to close the deal in the fourth quarter. This does require FCC approval before it can move forward. 
Verizon is getting rid of contract plans, switching offerings to month-to-month plans like AT&T and T-Mobile. Verizon's new plans are all based around shared data buckets. There's no single line or family plan anymore. Instead, a subscriber pays a specific amount of data and then a per-device fee to hook onto that plan. The company is offering four basic plans, each include unlimited talk and text and varied buckets of shared data. The smallest plan is $30 a month and includes one gig. The medium plan, $45 a month and has three gigs. The large large plan $60 a month and includes 6 gigs and the extra large plan at $80 a month and includes 12 gigs of data. The prices don't include those access charges or device payments. Each smartphone line is $20 a month to add to the service plan, while tablets and dongles will cost $10 and wearables such as watches are $5. So, a large plan with two smartphones sharing 6 gigs of data would cost $100 a month, meaning $60 for the data, $20 for each of the smartphones. This before taxes, fees and those device payments. Now, Verizon will charge data over fees the same as they do now $15 per each gigabyte and according to Verizon the more everything customer either whether you're a contract or month to month can stay on your current plan through the end of your contract or switch to the new plans right away any customer choosing these refreshed plans must purchase a smartphone using monthly payments though so keep that in mind also Verizon doing away with the Verizon Edge branding for device payments moving forward the new service plans go into effect this week August 13th so to me, this seems kind of like a big deal for Verizon to be actually kind of doing this because they're they're kind of the old school behemoth. And for them to, to, to make this kind of change to really seem to kind of push away the device subsidy, uh, obviously they need to to react to the market because that's, uh, you know, T-Mobile really has led the charge. And, and realistically, um, you know, con- they have to kind of stay price competitive. And the only way to do that is to, you know, pull out the device subsidies out of the, the monthly payment for the, the service. Yeah. And I think if you if you look at what everyone else has done, this just makes sense to see them follow. Um, you know, if you if I think about what I spend right now and and I look at these plans, they seem much cheaper. Keep in mind, I'm also paying to subsidize my device. So you have to add that amount back in. So if I wanted to change, I'd have to jump on one of these device payment plans. I don't know how they're going to prorate those things. So, you know, you're you're going to have to take a look at what the financial model is going to look like before you can jump in on something like this. What I like, this is just a lot more fair for the average consumer of, you know, the, the, the service. You know, I think of somebody like my mom, for example, who will keep her phone for, you know, probably three or more years. And then also for years and years, all she bought were the, the El Cheapo, you know, texting flip phones and she was paying the same subsidy that uh, you and I Mickey were on our iPhones and and that's not fair and I really didn't like that I thought that was you know kind of taking advantage and of course then she had that cheap phone for years and years and years so all I was doing is just you know really uh, just kind of you know taking money from people that didn't know any better on what they were doing with their device uh, and not upgrading every two years to try to get the most of it but then on the flip side you still have to pay to upgrade so it really I like these these are just more fair yeah, and it, it's obviously going to make more sense if you're someone who is buying that phone and keeping it for more than two years, you're going to pay it off and then you're going to have your cost of your plan drop down. And so it's going to it's going to feel more transparent. So that's great news for the consumer. It really is. And plus, these days, now that the, you know, the, the, the Android and iPhones is kind of slowing down for their development and, and, and we can keep the devices longer, like when you had your iPhone 3G and upgraded to 3GS, I mean, you'd be crazy not to upgrade every year because the device was just uh, slow and, and majorly upgraded every year. But, but that development cycle has slowed down now, so you can actually keep them longer and actually save money on your service now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was seeing, I saw somebody's iPhone 5S the other week, and although it does feel small compared to the devices that are out there now, it still felt very zippy. And so that was kind of the the, the feeling was that, well, there's no real reason for performance to do it. It's, it's all about the bigger screen, which that doesn't really mean everything to everybody. No, it doesn't. And the iPhone 5 is very, very capable still because I was, you know, setting one up the other day and I'm like, this is fine. This is, I mean, yeah, other than being smaller, it is really a perfectly acceptable device and you, you can probably run it for another year or two. Yeah, I mean, it's there. There's gonna it's gonna keep working. I mean, obviously, the technology of the the networks that's out there is gonna be one of the bigger limitations, and you're you know limited to what you've got as far as LTE on that. But again, if that doesn't really bother you, then you know maybe that's not that big of a deal either. So, um, but uh, either way, these new plans go into effect again this week. So check it out if you're looking to uh, maybe switch around your the amount of data that you're using that you may be able to get on something that's a little bit more economical for you if you are a Verizon customer. Sprint on Friday made it easier for family to call. Uh, for 
friends in Mexico, family and friends to call people in Mexico and Canada, as well as other countries in its new open world program. Sprint customers who enroll in open world can call or text numbers in Canada, Mexico, and other countries at no charge. Further open world offers free unlimited calling and texting and one gig of data to Sprint customers who travel to Canada, Mexico, Dominican Republic, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama, and Paraguay. Sprint will charge customers who exceed the one gig of free roaming data at a rate of $30 per extra gig and may cancel service for those who roam excessively. Customers who need to have an international capable handset can take advantage of the roaming services. Sprint permits roaming in countries uh, other than those listed in the open world program, but charges $30 per gig of data and 20 cents per voice minute. Open world is a limited time promotion. Sprint did not provide an end date uh, and it can be added to Sprint plans for free. Interested customers who need uh, will need to sign up online and person in stores or via the phone. Nokia on Monday formally announcing the sale of its HearMaps business unit to a consortium of German automakers, including Audi, BMW, and Daimler. The group agreed to buy HearMaps for $3 billion and will act as investors in here, as well as customers of the uh, mapping business and suppliers of the data. Nokia said Here-branded mobile applications will continue to be available to Android, iOS, and Windows devices. Nokia expects to complete the sale during the first half of 2016. Once finalized, Nokia will have two business units, its telecommunications equipment unit, and the technology unit. In device news, according to a report from BuzzFeed's John, they got no wait, John P. <laughs> Apple will hold its annual fall iPhone event on September 9th. At the event, Apple will unveil the iPhone 6S, according to BuzzFeed, which will be uh, unveiled similar exclusive details uh, on earlier this summer as well. The iPhone 6S is expected to be similar to the iPhone 6 with a pressure-sensitive force touch display as the big differentiator as well as improved wireless connectivity. Apple's also expected to introduce a new Apple TV unit at the end uh, or at the event, which has redesigned uh, its interface, given it a new remote and also support for an app store. Apple's web TV service, however, is not uh, currently expected to be showcased at the event. Uh, regarding iPads, they say that Apple is aiming to show off new iPads at the event, which would be a departure from its usual separate iPad announcement that happens later in the fall, although it does not sound like we're going to see ourselves an iPad Pro at this event. So what do you think here? Obviously, we'll see some uh, iPhone updates. We, we, we basically have seen some uh, you know, exterior shots, um, you know, cases with showing that they'll be exactly the same. And uh, obviously, we've had many years of that where they're the exact same exterior. And that makes sense because of your accessories, your cases. Uh, this is uh, going to be kind of a normal S upgrade. I'm sure we'll see improvements to the camera and uh, probably not a heck of a lot else. The The real thing that becomes uh, curious to me is how are they going to do the budget? Because this happened with the, the 5S when it came out. They released a device called the 5C, which was the plastic case. It, you know, the speculation was it was going to be a really cheap, affordable de- device because at the time, the Nexus line was really... Um, getting some attention at their $300 price point. And, and since then, that's gone away. And the iPhone you know, uh, 5C was only $100 cheaper, so it really wasn't anything uh, exciting like the, the speculation was. What are they going to do this year for a budget device? And that's really where uh, you know, I really start to wonder because, of course, that lower end is kind of what drives uh, probably more volume than the upper end. Yeah, that's very true. I guess uh, in my my kind of thinking through this here, I feel like they need to they need to do what they have done in the past, which is to keep one of the existing devices as the budget device. I don't think a separate line um, is really the way to go here. Uh, I don't know. Five S, keep that one rolling, and that and that's your, or maybe keep the the uh, you know the six uh, as a as a lower option here. But I, I, people still want a smaller device, I think, and so I think they still need to offer something. That's where I think the five S comes into play there. Yeah, and I agree because also for uh, the vast majority, I don't think the the radio uh, LTE bands have really changed since no, the five S. I mean, Verizon they're the, they're obviously exactly the same. For the other carriers, I'm sure there are some that are missing. But, uh, I mean, I suppose they could even probably do a, a slight upgrade to the hardware, the 5S, but it probably just isn't necessary for the, for the, the vast majority of people having, uh, having that device. So to me, yeah, I, I do think it would be the 5S, but they may not. It, 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 they may want to keep with something that's a little more whimsical or a little more fun, too. So it's really tough to say what they're going to do, and that's what I find more interesting than, than the flagship device, actually, at this point. Because the flagship is going to be what it is. It's a plus update, right? Um, or it's an S update. Um, and I'm sure the plus will get an S as well. Six plus S. 
S plus, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, pretty confusing there. And uh, and of course, you start to, you know, as we talked about just a little bit ago, you know, the, the devices, the device cycle here uh, kind of seems to be slowing down what they can do. And, and I wouldn't even be surprised here at some point that they start stretching their uh, their cycles out a little bit longer to, you know, 18 months to three years on a, on a single shell where the exterior doesn't change for three years. I mean, we could start seeing some of that happen just because of the, the the lack of the need to do these upgrades. Look at what they do with the computers, right? And and granted, a computer is very different right now, um, but it, it may not feel that way for a phone here moving forward. I guess other than you having an, a, a certain amount of damage or you know wear on your device from just using it day to day, um, the, the functionality of it should still be relatively the same 18 months in. Um, you know, what does the battery do? I mean, if we're increasing the batteries uh, in, a, in, a, in a better way and the technology so they don't wear out as fast, that's a whole nother discussion, I guess, because you get, what, 300 charges on average out of a phone before it gets to 80% of the battery, which for most of us is uh, a year. Uh, so it, it, that's going to have to change as well if we want to see that stuff kind of pushed out. Yeah, and that that's true. And of course, battery technology improves. And of course, you can take your you know phone in and get the battery replaced if it's you know like Apple can do that, and the Samsung of course can can replace the batteries as well. Uh, of course, the other devices in this event that are speculated, the Apple TV. I mean, how many times have we been hearing we're going to see a new Apple TV? And eventually, they will release one. And and you know potentially it could be a big deal, or potentially it could be just uh, okay. Well, this will be nice. We'll see how it sticks. You know, it took. The, the Apple TV quite a while to actually gained some traction. And even still today, it's not, you know, the, the biggest, hugest device. I mean, it has some neat features with AirPlay and you can obviously, you know, quickly play movies and it's got a nice, uh, you know, decent interface, but it doesn't any offer anything that's exceptionally compelling. Obviously, an app store would really have it, uh, give it a, some potential for something really different. But again, it's still just a media, media device playing in your TV. Um, the new iPads, yeah, they've always done a second event. So I would imagine that maybe they'll do that again, because why wouldn't they have a second event to gain more attention for Apple for the, the holiday shopping season? Yeah, no reason. Um, you know, generally, I, I find the, um, you know, kind of the S updates as is the ones that are to your point are a little bit less interesting. I mean, there's, there's nothing that really, um, at least in the last one that happened with the five S that made me feel like I had to jump over to it. So, um, anyway, I, I feel like if we, if we start talking about, you know, what Apple is going to do in, in the, the short term here, we have to start talking about where it is that they're going to do what they're going to do in the long term because the, um, the, the play that they're going to make here with with this device is um, it's it's a foregone conclusion. And so what what then happens after that? What what is this this next device? Is it it made sense to go with a bigger screen with the six? It made sense to, um, you know, uh, obviously do what they did with the, the LTE bands and, and make it more universal. But um, I don't I'm not seeing a, a big change coming here uh, with 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 a seven. And maybe I'm, I'm totally off base here and maybe it's going to be. Um, you know, a redesign of of the entire mobile lineup where everything looks uh, even more similar than it does today. I'm I'm not really sure, but I think that's that's I think what even is more interesting here because if I'm if if they're not going to be innovating in that regard and um, thinner is not necessarily the innovation piece of it anymore, then then what is it that they're doing that's going to make people keep buying these devices? That's a really tough thing to say. I mean, the you know having software quality is what you know Apple's kind of tried to. Um, you know, tie in for device quality and you, you, they, they build good hardware and they build good software. So uh, you can upgrade the software without having to actually change the hardware. That's kind of the, the magic of software. And, and if they can start pushing people over to maybe expanding, you know, paying money for improved software functionality, you know, maybe that would be something they'll start to do there. there you know, there could be they, they could start going about, you know, making money a little bit differently. Uh, obviously, a bunch of services and stuff they have, like the, the Apple radio and the uh, or Apple music, whatever it's called in and, and, and that, that monthly fee. And, you know, now you're paying for monthly uh, you know, drive storage space and think of the different revenue streams. Now they're all of a sudden starting to create, uh, of course, other than the iTunes and, and buying the apps themselves. So, um, you know, it, it could kind of morph real slowly. Slowly and, and hopefully not to to be a big shock. Well, uh, either way, if this report is correct, September 9th, one month from today, so we should know some uh, some more about this very soon. 
Switching gears, BlackBerry on Tuesday announcing the Passport Silver Edition, a refined version of its widescreen smartphone. The Silver Edition has reinforced stainless steel in the frame to improve strength and improve the antenna performance as well. The design has updated as well with rounded corners, a slimmer profile, and a diamond pattern soft touch black plate to improve the appeal and usability. Uh, the most other features remain unchanged. It's got a 1440 by 1440 pixel, 4.5 inch screen, 2.2 gigahertz quad core Snapdragon 801 processor, 13 megapixel camera, and a 3450 milliamp hour battery. It runs BlackBerry OS 10.3.2. It's selling a uh, device in North America via its website for $550. LG on Wednesday unveiling the Wine Smart. This is a flip phone that runs Android 5.1 Lollipop. The device was first shown in the Korean market several weeks ago as the gen- the gentle uh, the wine smart is an international version of the phone and they say uh, LG that is that it's designed to appeal to people who prefer the functionality of older handsets with the physical keys on them uh, it includes LG's safety care feature which uh, can be used to transmit emergency alerts to end location to pre-selected contacts when needed the wine smart is a slim clamshell that boasts a 3.2 inch 480 by 320 pixel touchscreen it also has got a 1.1 gigahertz quad core processor and a gig of RAM with four gigs of internal storage and support from micro SD cards. It's only got a three megapixel camera and a VGA user facing camera, but it does have Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and LTE, as well as a 1700 uh, milliamp hour removable battery. It's coming to France, Italy, Poland, Spain, Kazakhstan, and Japan, as well as other countries later this month, though no word on or when or if it's coming to the U.S. T-Mobile became the first carrier this week to drop pricing of the latest Samsung S6 devices. The Galaxy S6 now costs $580, $660, and $760 in the 32, 64, and 128 gigabyte models, respectively. Those price drops uh, prices reflect drops of between $100 and $200. The Galaxy S6 Edge has similar price cuts now at $680, $760, uh, and uh, $760 for the 32, 64, and 128 gig models. Samsung says it plans to firmly maintain its sale of premium smartphones by adjusting the pricing flexibly for the S6 and S6 Edge. In software news, Apple reportedly working to have Siri transcribe your voicemails and then forward them over to your iPhone as an SMS. According to Business Insider, this new feature is set to launch in 2016 and will essentially enable you to take your voicemail messages with you in a text form. The Siri uh, transcribe transcribing of voicemails will also have apple cloud involved as it will send them to your iphone as an sms and you'll be able to check check and delete them as you go business insider is saying when someone using icloud voicemail is unable to take a call siri will answer it instead of letting it go to the standard digital audio recorder iCloud voicemail can relay information about where you are and why you can't pick up the phone to certain people. So as if you set up, you know, work contacts, personal contacts, whatever. But the greatest feature is that the service uh, will transcribe the incoming voicemail just like it does with anything else to say it to you. So that's kind of a neat thing as well. Also, according to Business Insider, multiple Apple employees are testing the new feature and we'll see it possibly in iOS 10 in 2016. Okay, so I saw these headlines this week, and uh, you know, Siri's gonna t- or, or Apple's going to transcribe your voicemails for you. That sounds great. Uh, I'm like, well, I've had that with Google Voice now for years, and that's one of the features that uh, uh, I still use Google Voice for is uh, voicemail because you actually you don't really need to use anything else of Google Voice except for voice, and you can just use just the the voicemail where you either see the SMS or the transcribe or just use the app to play the the voicemail back and and look at the transcription. However, you just said here, uh, Siri will answer the call. And I think that's kind of interesting. So, you know, obviously, if Siri can answer the call and then say, wait a minute, uh, what do you want to do? This person can answer your call because they're not obviously answering it. And they um, they, they can then uh, say, well, send a text message or send uh, an email or send something, you know, and you could communicate, you could have, you could request the digital assistant to actually do something other than just leave a message. Uh, a voice message and that to me seems pretty fascinating because that gives you you know gives your caller a little bit extra ability and then you obviously mentioned there that it can uh, you can relate to callers uh, specific information at that time uh, imagine if you could leave messages for other people in case they call uh, I, I can mm-hmm. imagine that would be great for meetings that you just can't get out of or all day seminar you know things where some people just you cannot talk to them and you can't even message them or contact them back but you could leave them a message if they call you so that's a pretty handy feature or it could be yeah indeed I, I mean I think about if it's uh, if it's certain you know 
contacts you set up that are people that you regularly work with kind of your inner circle of, of uh, colleagues. And you could say, you know, one of the options could be, you know, I, Hey, I'm in a whatever meeting right now. And, and the, the caller could, their functionality could be, I need to schedule a meeting with this person and Siri can, uh, can look at your calendar and give you the availability options and stuff like that. And you could schedule a meeting without even talking to the person. So kind of think of it as like a, a digital assistant, if you will, uh, to, to handle a lot of this stuff. And so it, it does become very interesting here to, to, to think about what that kind of stuff, um, you know, what, what that could mean, whether it's again, figuring out the, the, the time piece of it and, and scheduling a meeting to sending them an email to sending them a text to, uh, telling them where they are. I mean, I would love to have that ability where if I, my wife called and it would say, you know, I'm in, you know, XYZ location, I'm in a meeting until this time. Uh, you know, and then be give her the, her the ability to notify me when I'm done with my meeting to give her a call. Uh, and then it's not a voicemail that says all of that. She knows where I am. She knows what I'm doing. And then I know that I need to call her when that gets over. And so it doesn't get lost in the shuffle because it pushes out a notification to me later. So no idea if any of that actually means anything, but as you kind of start to think about where it could go, there's some interesting stuff to it. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that works. Now, following that news, Business Insider reported that Apple would be potentially following the Google Project Phi and becoming an MVNO themselves. However, uh, they did, Apple, after this all came out, uh, denied the report, suggesting it plans to sell phones and wireless service. They said, we have not discussed this, nor do we have any plans to launch an MVNO uh, in a statement that they released, which is crazy because they never dispel rumors like this. So it really must be a heavy no. I, you know what? I, I almost tend to agree with that because if you think about it, um, and on the global scale of, uh, you know, wireless services, you know, you just easily grab the SIM card and the service and you pop it in. Why would you even need to deal with that or compete with that? And then on the, the secondary, if they had this in their mind at all, wouldn't all Mac, uh, notebooks have LTE built into them by now? Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Cause you're not, that actually is one of the bigger questions is when are they going to do that? Cause that, if you look at it, whether it's the air or the new MacBook, something that is so ultra portable and you've now got a, uh, I'll just say a program out with the carriers that allows for $10 devices to be added on. I'd pay $10 for it. It'd be fantastic not to have to tether this thing anymore. It just, and it actually, it would probably push me to buying a different type of notebook if I knew that it was that portable. Exactly. And, and just like with the L, the LTE on the iPad, I, I, I just couldn't imagine not having it. It's just, it's not an option. Uh, obviously with the new Yosemite, on the Mac OS where you've got the drop-down Wi-Fi uh, connectability to the tethering through the Mac itself, that's infinitely easier to uh, to set up the tethering than to actually have to grab out your device or dig it out and turn on the hotspot and, and do all that. But uh, to me, it just it, it does seem baffling. They don't have a uh, you know LTE cellular connection in uh, their, their MacBooks, the, the portable Macs. And, and this right here, to me, tells me that they don't have any intention of becoming an MVNO because they would already have that. Yeah, that that's actually a really interesting point because that that would make all the sense in the world. I I'm, I, I want to see this happen. Actually, I, I again would really like to have that. And how do you uh, you know how do you kind of retrofit it in? There's got to be an easy way to do it, whether it's through an SD card slot or, or something like that. I mean, I'm thinking about a way that you could do this. Um, you know, to to build this in, but because uh, you've got a lot of devices that are out there right now, of course, and uh, you would you would wouldn't want to have to have everybody buy a new device just to get this functionality. No, you'd have the eSIM, and that's uh, kind of uh, what the next deal is. Yeah, the, well, okay, so the eSIM, but how do you how do you integrate that into a laptop so that, that doesn't have the functionality built in? Well, you just don't, you don't. It has to be sold that way. I mean, it has to be, you know, built in. So you wouldn't be able to retrofit old, old laptops. Don't most laptops, with the exception of the new MacBook, have the built-in, have two USB ports? Could you easily, you know, create a little adapter that could have the eSIM in it that could plug into that USB port and that USB port gets configured to be kind of that always on connection or I don't know. So I'm just trying to think of a way to do it. It's on Apple, right? Cause it's not integrated, but, um, I don't know. I, the, the, the drop down Wi-Fi thing is a reasonable option, but just give it, give, take my money really is, is, is what I'm saying. Take my money on another $130 for the device itself and I'll pay the 10 bucks a month and, and would love to have that functionality built in. So uh, anyway, uh, real quick hit here, Twitter updating its iPhone app uh, this week, adding landscape support for the iPhone 6 Plus. So that's great news. If you're a Twitter user and you've got a 6 Plus, that's free in the Apple iTunes store. Google also releasing an update to its iOS version of Google Maps this week, adding new features, including night mode, darkening the screen when navigating at night. Night mode options 
maps uh, include uh, functions appear when driving at nighttime only. Uh, maps users can also now label places to see on a map and in search suggestions and also edit photo captions. So um, kind of neat stuff happened with this and also some annoying stuff. So use Google Maps extensively uh, and was trying to use it the other day. And the scrolling is weird once you've got navigation actually going now where you try and scroll around and see other stuff and it like always keeps shooting you back down to your current location. So um, not sure if I was just doing something wrong, but uh, I realized that when I was using that this week. So anyway, Google Maps gets its update. Uh, Google also planning to push out security patches on the Android side to Nexus devices on a monthly basis to make sure that they remain protected from potential and developing threats. Google delivered its first security update on Wednesday to the Nexus 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10 respective smartphone and tablets, as well as to the Nexus Player. They said the update contains fixes for the stage fright vulnerability and other issues submitted over the last few weeks by its carrier and handset partners. Google will simultaneously release security fixes to the public via the Open Android Source Project. Google committing to updating Nexus devices with major operating system versions for a period of two years. The security patches for a period of three years or 18 months from the date when the phone is discontinued for sale. Samsung also introducing a new policy to distribute security patches to its mobile devices once per month. They said the uh, the change will help protect device owners and with the recent security issues they'll get those out in a timely manner and uh, Samsung said it will work with carrier partners to make sure the patches will be distributed as soon as possible on that side too. They also recently fast-tracked through a security update for its newest Galaxy smartphones to repair the stage fright vulnerability. That patch being distributed to the S6 and S6 Edge Galaxy smartphones. Microsoft on Thursday made available a number of applications for wearables running Google's Android Wear and Apple's Watch OS. Firstly, Microsoft brought Outlook to the Apple Watch. The app lets Apple Watch owners browse and read emails and perform actions such as archiving, deleting, and flagging messages. It includes pre-written responses and supports dictation for longer messages. It also accompanies the Outlook email app for iOS. Got to pause on this for a second because this was a game changer for me, the ability to do all of this right now. So I realize some of this is, is coming uh, with mail in the new version of, of the watch OS. And I'll check that out when it comes there. But this single handedly moved mail for me uh, into a folder and moved Outlook to the dock. Uh, this is my sole email client now. Um, at least for the past 48 hours. <laughs> for the so, 48 hours. Yeah, 48 I sent hours. this to you earlier this uh, week because, you you know, you've uh, numerous times on the show said that the Outlook app is the thing you do. And uh, and I saw the, the, the headline saying, you know, they've, they've added it to the watch. And I'm like, okay, because we know that the Apple Watch doesn't really do email. And, and I thought uh, that was kind of crazy when we had mentioned that before that it doesn't do that because I'm like, well, why, why not? Because email's usually pretty simple and text-based. And yes, maybe it takes a half hour to read one single email on the watch but a lot of times emails are single sentence so uh when i saw the support for this i'm like oh this sounds like something mickey would like because he likes his watch and he likes the outlook app so that's uh it's kind of funny that they, they that they finally added this to that and, and kind of going against apple which is uh, you know it, it gives you a lot of functionality that apple doesn't provide right now and the biggest thing is that because it's now got watch functionality, it's it's so simple. And, and here's the other thing. You can both archive and delete. And this is a key that you don't find with the mail application because I do one or the other. I'm a very streamlined email guy. I do one of those two things with every single one of my emails. I don't move into folders. It's archive it or delete. That's it. That's what I do. And so the fact that I can now choose that from the watch, I can now choose it from the iPad, I can choose it from the iPhone. It just It sold me on this, right? Um, the other thing is, is on the watch, itself, um, it pulls up your next appointment when you launch Outlook, which is very cool as well. So I can see my messages and I can scroll down to the bottom of the messages list and it shows me my next appointment on my calendar. For those of you that have got the watch, some I don't know if it's what the deal is, if it's Outlook, if it's the watch, whatever it is, I don't see all of my appointments on my watch. It, it it's never worked properly. Certain things, whether uh, it's if they come, I haven't figured out what the the common thread is, but the calendar is flaky on the watch, and so I, it's fine on the phone, but not everything pushes from the phone. It's like it's not syncing properly, which is very odd and very frustrating. And at, to this point, I've just completely turned off like the calendar piece of uh, the, the on the watch face because I just don't know if it's going to be reliable. And to not. me, that sounds like one of the critical aspects of why the heck you'd want the darn thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, Outlook figured it out. <laughs> I can now see it through Outlook. So I've, I've got that all, all taken care of. So anyway, uh, but uh, well, well, whatever that. So that's that's Outlook. So check. I don't know if you if you haven't used Outlook, check it out. It's pretty interesting. And it ties in and pushes your Gmail, which is a big thing if you're a Gmail user for your personal account. And so you've got all of that. And, you know,
you know, archive, delete, uh, flag, mark as unread. You can do all of it. It's it's all and it's push. So it's great. Secondly, Microsoft also this week making Translator uh, available to both the Apple Watch and Android Wear. This lets uh, wearable owners get translations in 50 languages by speaking to their watch. It supports search history and caches recently used phrases. Thirdly, Microsoft updated OneDrive and OneNote for Android Wear. OneDrive will now display a photo on the watch face alongside notifications for up-to-date files. OneNote makes it easy to dictate uh, new notes by saying, okay, Google, take a note. The app uh, also now displays more recently viewed notes on the watch face. Outlook, Translator, OneDrive, and OneNote are all free to download from their respective Play stores. Now, in Windows Phone news, Microsoft said the Windows Bridge for OS application is moving to open source. So Windows Bridge allows developers to port iOS applications to the Windows platform. It can be used to create Windows 8.1 and Windows 10 desktop apps as well as supporting mobile versions for the two operating systems later this year. Microsoft is expected to offer Windows Bridge for Android in the fall as a beta application. Microsoft hoping developers will bring their Android and iOS apps to the Windows platform, which may help address this application gap. HBO updating HBO Now this week to update uh, to offer support for Google's Chromecast device, allowing Android devices to push HBO Now content to a Chromecast-equipped TV. Great news if you want to spend just the 15 bucks for HBO. And uh, speaking at the Seattle Code Rush on Saturday, Cyanogen's uh, Adon Begovic announced that with over 50 million users, Cyanogen is now uh, in more hands than Windows Mobile and BlackBerry combined. It just goes to show not only how popular Android is, but how much people love customizing their phones. You know, and it's very true, and Cyanogen is what I've had on my uh, uh, HP Touchpad uh, tablet, to that WebOS device, and of course I did run it uh, for quite a while on the, uh, the Nexus uh, 4S that I had, um, and it is a nice operating system. It, it goes uh, kind of above and beyond the the Android open source project and give you some flexibility that you don't get with your, uh, you know, with the, the, the carrier release device or even uh, just the basic uh, Nexus device. Um, so it's a little bit different than that. But, it uh, you know, now they've obviously they've kind of gone more commercial than they used to be. But it's pretty neat that they've got uh, that many people behind them. And, of course, it's uh, kind of a sad state when you've got really big company windows and microsoft and a really big company blackberry and it's less than that or you know there, there's more cyanogen than those two combined that's pretty uh that that's quite a story right there yeah it is i mean obviously there's there's just this this drop off in, in both of those respective platforms and and uh, you know with cyanogen you know they're only having to capture a small portion of android users out there to actually make this thing uh, a big deal so it, it's it's crazy though to think about that that it's a customized version of a specific optim you know a, a specific operating system and it, it beats out two other mainstream operating systems you know i haven't really paid attention to them recently and exactly what's going on and what they're doing but uh back when i had the nexus 4s i mean the cyanogen and and before that even their real you know their claim to fame was they provided uh you know the latest android operating system for devices that were n- no longer supported by the carrier and and had been abandoned you know years ago years and years ago with you know old awful you know awful versions of an os with a bunch of bloatware on it and they gave you the opportunity to not only get rid of all the bloatware but to upgrade to the absolute latest and greatest with some customizability on top of that uh it's like uh it's a win-win-win for everybody to to uh to put cyanogen mod on their device so that's uh I, i'm imagining probably that's still what they're doing today at least i hope they do yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's just, it, it's totally vindicating in, in how we've discussed, you know, these, these operating systems over the past couple of years that, you know, it's, it's just not, uh, it's just not this, this open, you know, everyone is using whatever they want system anymore. It's this two horse race. And uh, so, yeah, so you've got, you've got all these changes that are uh, keeping, keeping up. So, uh, let's move on here. Finally, in software news, Apple this week, releasing new versions of its beta software, revealing, with it, a, new, a number of new features. First, support for Wi-Fi calling on AT&T. The previous betas uh, of the feature, the feature was limited to T-Mobile's network, but it appears the final version will enable it on multiple carriers. Though at the moment, AT&T does not support Wi-Fi calling on the device. It has previously promised that the feature would be coming eventually, hopefully sometime by the end of the year. Also, several tweaks have also been made in the CarPlay interface, including the addition of larger artwork and support for liking songs with the heart button that uh, first debuted in the most recent 
recent iOS update. The now playing screen has also revealed some design tweaks as well. The settings uh, for the handoff and suggested applications feature have also been reworked, removing the option to get app store suggestions on the lock screen. Instead, you'll only see suggestions for apps you've already installed. Also, a new cellular connection setting uh, called Wi-Fi Assist allows the phone to automatically switch to cellular data uh, if you have a bad Wi-Fi connection. The toggle is hidden at the bottom of the cellular settings screen. Uh, however, this is a welcome addition, is to say the least, for those of us that often find ourselves in the Wi-Fi purgatory land uh, or w- waiting for emails to load or send is really where I see this all the time. So whether it's walking out the door of a building or walking out the door of my house or passing a Wi-Fi hotspot that I once logged into, you know, three years ago and it pops back up and you can't do anything. And so, yes, it'll be very nice to see this. In fact, I may log into more Wi-Fi hotspots if I know that if I go outside of them just by a few feet, I'll still be able to use the cellular data. So cool, very nice uh, updates on the iOS coming in iOS 9. Questions and comments. First up is a comment from Andrew. He says, guys, listen to episode 477 and heard you guys talking about Dominic's question about product placement in the new Terminator movie. I instantly thought about the Windows phone product placement in the television show Scandal, uh, in which the only device you ever see anybody using is a Windows phone. My wife loves the show and I've gotten into it a little bit myself while watching it with her. Uh, anyway, I've always been more up to date with her on politics and current events uh, than her. And a few times she said, is that really what happens? Is this show believable? And my response has been, no, I can't take a fictional world seriously if they're showing me that a Windows phone is the 100% market share of smartphones. Anyway, I thought I would share that with you. Keep up the good work, guys. Andrew in uh, Indiana. A very, very uh, funny, Andrew, with that. Well, and of course, you know, you watch House of Cards, you see the iPhones everywhere and, and, and there's uh, Blackberries in certain phones. Uh, and then, of course, it was the same way back, uh, way back when you'd watch 24, uh, way, way back. And every phone was a Sprint phone. I'm like, these people wouldn't have Sprint phones. That just doesn't make any sense. So I completely agree with you there. Yeah. And it's product placement at its finest. You pay to, you know, you pay to get your brands out there at times. And, uh, you know, obviously it, uh, it helps sell stuff. So finally today, question from Ron. He says, I moved from the iPhone 5S to the OnePlus One, but a couple of things I'm not happy with. One, no one can hear me through the speakerphone. And two, I can't add contacts from Gmail maps like I could with the iPhone maps. I finally moved to Android for the customization file access flexibility. So I'm wondering if the OnePlus 2 would be a worthy upgrade or I'm thinking about the Samsung Note 5S 6 Edge Plus or maybe the next Nexus phablet. What do you think? Ron. Uh, well, first off, not, not sure what's going on with the, the speakerphone. Sounds like maybe either defective hardware or just a faulty, you know, poor implementation of that. Um, as far as adding context from Google Maps, um, y- you know, I'm, I, I never really thought about doing that. Um, but anyway, it's something that you could do with iPhone Maps, I guess. Um, and then uh, as far as the hardware choices are concerned, you know, they're all good choices. I think it really comes down to the customizations on the OS and if you're okay with them, right? So if not, I would rule out the Samsung hardware. Um, the OnePlus 2 is high-end hardware and mid-range pricing. Um, I think you'll, I don't think you'll go wrong with any of the choices, but that's really the question that you need to answer for yourself is, you know, are you, are you set on having this kind of pure Android experience? And that's what you've experienced now with the OnePlus. And so if you want to do that again, go with the OnePlus 2. Good price. And uh, generally you're going to, you're going to find yourself very happy if you can get your hands on one, because I understand the wait list is millions of people long at this point. So good luck with that, Ron. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524. Again, 650-999-0524. Leave us a voicemail there and uh, we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.